All right, Christy, it's time to get down to Brass Tax. Brass Tax, huh? The brassiest. This next crossover we're going to cover is a Patreon request, which means skipping some of our Bendis-era crossovers all the way to the very end. The bitter end? The bitter end. So you know Siege. Sure, I know Siege. Now, you say you know Siege, but do you know Siege? Kieran Gillen's part of Secret Wars? Jim Shooter wrote Secret Wars. Hickman's Secret Wars. Siege was in Secret Wars? I thought you knew Siege. Oh, I know Siege. That isn't Siege. It is Siege, but I'll humor you. Yeah, this is Siege by Bendis. Wait, you mean the guy who wrote Rogue are. Uh-huh. The guy who wrote Jessica Jones? Yep. Is this the Brian Michael Bendis from Ultimate Spider-Man fame? That's the one. So anyway, this is the culmination of his whole, oops, cold open is over, we'll have to put this one on the next episode. Decompression is a real pain in my tuchus. Next episode, we talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our patron-requested episode of Siege. It's time for Siege. This isn't your dad's Siege. It, it is, though. This is the only Siege. Well, this is... Yeah, well, this is the only Siege. This is, this is the culmination of seven years of storytelling. It is. And we skipped at least two of the crossovers involved. <laughs> yeah! Gonna have to go back and catch some of those. Yeah, we'll at least get World War Hulk and Secret Invasion in, I think. Yeah, Secret Invasion's kind of important. Yep. Secret Invasion was the first crossover I read. As soon as I started getting comics, issue one came out. It had a nice... We'll talk about that when we actually talk about Secret Invasion. <laughs> So this is a Brian Michael Bendis one. It's only four issues. It's, I think, his shortest crossover, as far as I know. See, that's one way of putting it. If you look at if you look at the main title, mm-hmm. the main title is four issues that encompass one battle. Correct. There's more. No. No. There's mm-hmm. what? Mm. There's a lot more. Well, Christy, what did you do th- this time? Why are you saying that? we only we never read cr- tie-ins? You know that. <laughs> there was a checklist, a ladies checklist. and gentlemen. A checklist. You know what? I think it. I counted the number of titles on the checklist, but you know, they changed the checklist partway through and added like six more issues on it. Oh my gosh. It was So tell these guys, gals, and non-binary pals how many you ended up having to read. Okay. Okay. 46, including including the four siege titles. My goodness. So the checklist only had a 40, 41 titles on it, uh-huh. but one of those titles was a comic that wasn't on Marvel Unlimited, which was the... Uh, origins of Siege, which I assume was just kind of covering the events leading up to Siege. So I just went ahead and read like the five additional issues that were in the prelude uh-huh. on Marvel Unlimited's reading list. So I could make sure that I really got the full checklist experience. Well, I read all four of these issues. It was, um, it, they were hefty. <laughs> All this is saying is you could be reading so many more comics. It really, I did this in like five days of reading. Right. You, like, we got to put you on like Amazing Spider Man, and then you'll be like, in like 10 days, you'll be like, I've read it no, all. No, no, no. The question is in like 48 hours, how much of it will I remember? That's fair. <laughs> I Knowing felt, you, probably not a ton. I felt like I crammed for a test, and this is the test. And after this test, whoosh. 
All right. It's gone. <laughs> and uh, readers, before we get into our summary, we have a- another reader to thank, to shout out. We have a new patron. Meet Josh. Josh, thank you for joining. Yeah. Josh went on over to Patreon.com and uh, became a supporter, a patron of the podcast. So we're shouting him out and giving him a big old hearty thank you. Well, welcome, Josh. Thank you so much for pledging on Patreon. I, I love all our Patreon pledges. All right. Let's get into our summary. Siege, one through four, written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Olivier Coipel, inked by Mark Morales, colored by Laura Martin, lettered by the juggernaut Chris Eliopoulos, and edited by Tom Bravewart. Issue number one. Using the wisdom and guidance of Loki Laufeson, Norman Osborn, the head of Hammer, tricks Volstag of the Warriors Three into fighting common criminals, as well as the UFOs, and causing massive damage to a stadium, which gives Norman the justification he needs to invade Asgard which is currently located in Oklahoma. Ares vehemently disagrees in a private meeting, but is convinced when Norman reminds him that a madman, Loki, currently rules there, even though Balder technically rules. A little double dealing. The other Avengers, currently all former supervillains, are also not really feeling this plan to fight gods, but Norman says their obligations to him are done if they participate, which is enough. Norman also has the entire power of the 50 states initiative backing him, but he does not have the backing of the president, who cannot get a hold of Norman. Balder is rousted from his sleep by Loki, who tells him of Osborn's forces heading toward Asgard, and Balder gathers his armies, just as the Sentry and the other Dark Avengers begin laying siege to the city. Tony Stark, who is recovering from an attack by Osborn, Maria Hill, and Donald Blake await in nearby Braxton, Oklahoma, but notice the commotion. Don transforms into Thor and tries to fight the Dark Avengers single-handedly, but even he is no match for their combined strength, and he is beaten. We get this through the lens of a TV broadcast. A TV broadcast being watched by an alarmed Steve Rogers. Issue number two. As the pair fight for their city, Balder and Heimdall manage to explain to Ares that he's been duped by Osborn, and that Balder is in fact the king of Asgard. The god of war is pretty mad. We zoom to Thor, who as of last issue was brought low by the Dark Avengers, but rescue comes in the form of Maria Hill in a pickup, shooting rockets at the Dark Avengers. They manage to beat feet and said pickup, but Thor is pretty wounded. Cap gathers a group of Avengers, people previously at odds with each other, to take back the country from Osborn. Ares ambushes Osborn, enraged that the evil man duped him so. However, Sentry intervenes. The pair have an incredibly powerful duel, but Sentry begins to gain ground and defeats Ares brutally, tearing the god of war in half. Cap and crew prepare to leave, and Bucky gives Steve back his shield, as the world needs to see Steve as Captain America right now. Jarvis gives Cap a package to give to Tony Stark in case he needs it. Nick Fury refuses to take Phobos, the son of Ares, so the poor child wouldn't have to fight his dad. Uh, about that. Dakin tracks down Thor in Broxton, but is brutally repelled by a lightning blast from the God of Thunder, who booms to Osborn that he will not run. Osborn gives Sentry the order to destroy the city, but Taskmaster tells Osborn to turn around, and the image of a red, white, and blue shield reflects off his faceplate. 
Issue number three. As the president calls in the military to attack Hammer's helicarrier forces, the Avengers begin their assault, and a big event comic brawl breaks out. The sentry lands in Broxton, and he and Thor begin to have a god tussle. Osborn calls on Loki's help, and he teleports in a group of villains led by the Hood to assist in the fight. The young Avenger Speed runs the briefcase from last issue to Maria and Tony in Broxton, and Tony wakes up just in time to take it. The Air Force takes down the Hammer Helicarrier with extreme prejudice. And as Steve and Osborn fight, suddenly Osborn's armor begins to fail. Iron Man arrives in retro armor, having hacked Osborn's stolen tech. Osborn begins to rage and demands Sentry bring it all down. The Sentry completely destroys Asgard, bringing every building down. Thor can only watch in horror. Osborn's armor comes apart as a result of Tony's hacking, and it reveals his face was slowly turning into the green goblin face. He screams at the Avengers that they've messed up big time, as only Osborn could control him. That him being the sentry, who is slowly turning into his other ego. The Void. Issue number four. Loki regrets orchestrating this whole horrible thing and empowers the heroes by transferring powers from the summoned villains in order for the Avengers to fight the Void. The heroes are starting to turn the tide when the Void realizes that Loki is the source of their power and the monster rips Loki apart. Cap demands that Osborn tell him how to stop the Void, but the manic Norman states, You can't. He's the Angel of Death. Iron Man calls in the big guns as he demands the helicarrier crew evacuate, and then old Shellhead uses remote control to smash the giant ship into the Void. Osborn attempts to flee, but is stopped by Volstag. The sentry seems to be back to his normal self. However, in a very movie moment only has a moment of lucidity in which he loudly begs for death before turning back into the void. Thor calls down his largest thunderbolt, which finally slays the sentry. Thor takes his body to the sun, where he gives the sentry the ultimate Viking funeral. They arrest Osborn, and Cap tells Bucky that the world only needs one Captain America— and that Steve has some other plans. Steve is going to serve America in a much larger role in his own way, and Osborn and his Avengers will be put on trial. Hammer is to be disbanded as well. The Avengers celebrate and try to decide what's going to come next, and Thor appears to thank the heroes for helping in the fight, and he uses magic to make a new and improved Avengers Tower. Hooray! All right, Christy, what did you think of Siege? You read every last drop of it. Oh, my gosh. And every last drop is like swallowing an ocean. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, when these were coming out, this was like over a period of many months. Like some of the prelude stuffs like started in December and we went all the way to May. Yeah. So like that's seven, six months. Reading all of that over six months wouldn't have quite been like swallowing an ocean. Mm-hmm. But also, can you think about how unsatisfying that it would be in like six months of comics, one battle happened? Oh yeah, this is a this is a, a big problem with the sort of decompression. Like in 1976, this would have been one issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I mean, you look at the these the four main title issues, and you've got a nice little cohesive fight there, and then you branch out into all the little side quests and everything in the tie-ins mm. that well, actually don't matter a ton. Oh yeah, of course they don't. They they they're there to add character pathos. Yeah, you know, get everybody 
involved. We we have you know like so so some when you're at the end of disc three and your characters are only at like level forty five, but you know they need to be at level sixty. But it's really time for that final boss. You got to do all their little all their little <laughs> their little side quests. Level them up. Uh, it was kind of fun, kind of interesting reading some of the stuff leading into it, some of the Dark Rain stuff. Dark Rain is maybe one of my favorite comic quote-unquote initiatives that ever happened. Really? I had no idea. A lot of times, one of the big complaints about superheroes is they fight for the establishment or for the status quo. And a lot of that is basically just due to the fact that comic books can't like superhero comics from the big two can't have endings because mm-hmm. you can't just be like, well, we're done with Superman. Right. That's just, so he will always kind of have to like be somewhat ineffectual or then and even like Marvel is the world outside your window. If mm-hmm. Marvel, if the Marvel heroes literally solved all the problems, then it would no longer be the world outside our window because our world has, still has problems. So they can, right. o- they can only be so effective. Right. But in dark rain, they were fighting against the establishment who were all bad guys. And it ruled. Let me tell you, reading some of this stuff definitely gave me some feels about our world today. Like, I know this came out, what, like a decade ago. But <laughs> it came out in, yeah, 2010. Mm-hmm. We, um, Siege was wrapping up. Well, did it come out? Did it finish in 2010 or is it finished in 2011? Yeah, it wrapped up May 2010. Yeah, I just remember this. I remember the era right after this because we were getting we were getting prepared for our wedding, and I had like a three month specific comic book store. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I picked up so many Dark Reign titles, and I, I just couldn't afford all of them because Marvel Unlimited didn't exist at the time. Mm-hmm. But boy, I love Dark Reign, and I think a lot of people accuse it of being kind of grim dark. The the era right after it is called the Heroic Age, which was another – for a while, Marvel really tried these everything is under one banner sort of deals. Mm-hmm. The Heroic Age was kind of back to your 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 kind of standard, like, bright, colorful yeah, stories. Yeah, and this is a really hopeful ending to it. It's actually, like, really satisfying to see, like, a terrible leader taken down yeah. and brought to justice. Like, if it was – this could be like the end of to, – to, to make a Marvel movie analogy, this would be like the end of a phase. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I feel like the ending is definitely very satisfying in that way, in a way that I wouldn't have understood if I hadn't have read the prelude stuff and even some of the tie-in stuff. I loved I loved Embedded, which is just Ben Urig and a, another journalist, uh, Join Volstagg. Yeah, they loved doing these Ben Urich and crossover stories. They did it with a ton of them, and a lot of them are awful. So I'm glad that you liked it, Siege Embedded, because I think the Civil War one was was like particularly bad. Yeah, yeah. I I I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. I like Ben. I got a soft spot. Yeah, he was in your your very favorite comic run. Yep, my very very favorite run of Spider Woman. Mm-hmm. So, and some of them, some of the tie-ins were mm, I'm like Dark Wolverine. They left it off of the reading list in Marvel Unlimited huh. for the event. I mean, I get it. It's was just, it dork? Uh, it's Dagon being tempted by the fates to bring about Ragnarok. <laughs> that seems a lot more cosmically important than him getting like fried by Thor in the middle of this crossover. But the thing is, he's totally fine afterwards. He gets out of the scot free and rides away into the sunset. So you think he's fried by Thor, and then he comes back. Oh, well, he has a healing factor. Well, yeah. I didn't think he and was he, really he fried. comes back later, and he blows up some buildings and makes a getaway. 
And there, there he goes. There you go. <laughs> Dokken, Dokken or Dakin, he's an interesting character. Mm. What did you think of the Dark Avengers? There was a teaser for them that wrapped up right after Secret Invasion. Because mm-hmm. to spoil Secret Invasion, a crossover we will have to eventually cover... Norman Osborn becomes the hero. He grabs like a gun and kills the Skrull Queen and everybody sees it. Right. And so they put him in charge of everything. It's very like jingoistic sort of he killed the the bad invader. It He's seem, a big war it hero. It seems ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it is very silly. Like <laughs> that guy killed the Skrull Queen. Let's put him in charge of a lot. <laughs> Wasn't he the Green Goblin? Don't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, the, the Dark Avengers, it's... But the the fact that they he literally tries to brand them as classic Avengers, but they're all supervillains, and I'm fairly certain the public does not know that they're supervillains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course not. I mean... I don't know You think you... somebody would catch on to Venom, though. Well, there, there, were, there were some bits early on where he would, like, lose control, but they'd, like, cover it up. <laughs> I don't know how they wouldn't catch Dakin, who has... Two claws that come out of his the back of his hand, and then one that comes out of his wrist. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Some nerd would pick that up. You know, definitely. Like, hey, that's not the real Wolverine. The real Wolverine has three back of hand claws. <laughs> this is an imposter. There'd be like there'd be like Wolvergate or something mm-hmm. where people would be like having this conspiracy theory about how he's not the real Wolverine, and then they'd feel so vindicated vindicated at the very end. But I think them not being the actual Avengers is supposed to be somewhat comforting to the public because we're getting to get rid of those those troublesome heroes that, you know, only bring about problems. Right. And now we have new leadership. These are like of of all the times the Avengers have been the most like like cops, these are like the copist ones. <laughs> Weird, weirdly enough, because they are like very much directly under the control of like an age of like a government agency. Like a lot of times, the Avengers have worked with Shield, but I don't think they've really ever been like fully under Shield until like the movies. Mm-hmm. But these are like Hammer is Shield. It's just the the new version of it. It, it. They are like literally reporting to the director of Shield, who is Norman Osborn, mm. who made a white, red, white, and blue Iron Man armor. <laughs> There are some bits that didn't sit super well with me about the Dark Avengers, like the whole thought of uh, Moonstone sleeping through the team just to mess with Norman. Is do you mean do you mean she she seduced all the members of the team? Because yeah. I don't remember that. Yes. Okay. That's, yeah. Uh, that's very like like doing activities in the conference room because she knew Norman would see on camera just to tick him off. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wasn't thrilled with that stuff. But Sentry became more interesting to me through reading the tie-ins. I didn't understand a single flippin' thing about Sentry when I read just the first when I read just the four main titles. Yeah, we've basically completely blown past all of the Sentry stuff. He appeared in New Avengers. I cannot remember where the Sentry was during Civil War. I don't know. I do not remember. I don't really remember talking about, or maybe we have. I just kind of wrote him off. So he was in Civil War, but mostly just in tie-ins. I have a feeling Mark Millar just didn't want to write him. Because <laughs> he's, Marvel has kind of a Superman problem where anytime they try, they make someone that's kind of like Superman, they just, they will never be as popular as Superman. So you just have to make him evil and have an alter ego of the Angel of Death and erase everybody's memories of him. <laughs> that- and- 
That's one of them. <laughs> There's another guy named Hyperion. And he kind of has a different deal. Mm. <sighs> they off the sentry's wife in this because she was like the one person that could like, you know, make him snap out of. Didn't the he have void. a kid or did he not have a kid? Uh, no, they didn't have a kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> the hood has a kid. Yeah. Yeah. He's a jerk to his wife. Oh, the hood's awful. He's I'm, he's a terrible human being, and I'm very glad that he was caught. And I wish Tigra had slapped him around a little bit more. Because <laughs> in one of the in one of the tie-ins, Tigra beats him up, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, she beats him up in one tie-in, and then comes and confronts him in prison in another tie-in. Whoa. Yeah, you really got to see all of this. I did. So, what do you think about? Th- about this whole Asgard situation. This was very much a temporary status quo, and this is the end of it. To me, this is like the le- like attacking Asgard is just the most bonkers way that this could have gone to me. Like, I just, maybe if I had read more of the Dark Avengers leading up, uh-huh. like seeing Norman's kind of losing his grasp because i i get some of that in the prelude and the tie-ins but i just cannot see the motivation for it i think it was just it was just a a powerful group that he was not under his sway because he had control of the 50 state initiative Mm -hmm. and And he he had his cabal yep the and all the good the good the good people were kind of underground but they were like the the asgardians were he needed he needed somebody to to beat right i guess well, and he needed to beat them specifically because, right. you know, Thor, Thor, real powerful guy. Mm-hmm. Man. So I developed kind of a little love for Taskmaster in this. You mean the, the guy who's just good at stuff? I love that Taskmaster's powers. Are, <laughs> he's like really good muscle memory. So he's just good at things. Uh, what, what was it? A, like a photo, photographic muscle memory. Yes. I, that is the most hilarious. like silver agey seeming like, power. I, I could have been a great hero, but there really wasn't any money in that. So I trained the bad guys <laughs> because that wasn't dangerous. He has a fu- he has some fun moments in here, like getting to be like look behind you and the shield. I think my favorite part of these siege issues are uh, at least one and two have like incredibly great endings like mm-hmm. great last panel stingers yeah and it is very unlike bendis who sometimes just ends issues and you go wait did like a page fall out of my comic <laughs> or is these like have a very definitive ending okay and loki mm-hmm. throughout all this i went reading just the fir- the four main titles i was like oh loki had a change of heart loki did not have a change of heart he what <laughs> Loki planned it all, even quote unquote dying. What a what a jerk! That's kind of that's kind of a, an, an instance where the tie-in kind of illuminates oh, more. It does. That's kind of fun. It, it like the so the tie-in readers, Loki has struck up these series of of deals. Mm-hmm. So so Hela doesn't have a hell here on Earth. So he decides he's going to get Hela a hell by. Making a deal with Mephisto. Who has a hell. Who does have a hell. He's go- she's going to lease out some space from Mephisto. <laughs> Mephisto's a landlord. <laughs> yep. Hello, it's the it's the first. Need to need your rent check. Uh, and Asgardian have these uh, mythical creatures. I can't... It begins with a D. I can't remember their names. Uh, that consume Asgardian souls mm-hmm. when they are not in Asgard or, or hell, uh-huh. which is supposed to never happen. Right. Right. 
But Loki plans on making a real nice meal for him mm-hmm. with the death of all these Asgardians. Yep. And then to add insult to in- injury, he's made a-, a deal with Mephisto for Hela to have that spot of- in hell for a thousand and one years. And these creatures under Mephisto's control for a hundred and one years. So they're going to get out and eat all the Asgardian souls. So mean. And his part on behalf of the deal with Hela is that basically he has a get-out-of-jail-free card. He can't die. Oh. Yeah, it kind of renders his whole sentry sacrifice moot. <sighs> Loki has died in several crossovers. He dies in War of the Realms, too. <laughs> and his whole rationale is just, I'm the god of mischief. I gotta do mischief. I was bored. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta slash some Loki's tires. Loki's whole reason for, for spurring on this siege is, eh, I was bored. <laughs> gotta do mischief. <laughs> Loki's like one of our toddlers. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like if you were going to read anything besides the four main titles, that one's pretty important. That one's Siege Loki, Siege colon Loki. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not like a ton to talk about in the the fact that this is. I'm glad it was only four issues because if they would have made it eight, it would, like we really wouldn't have gotten anything. I know because it's just a fight. I'm, I feel like I wouldn't have anything to talk about if I didn't read all the tie-ins. It's probably good that you read all the tie-ins. I, I loved the art. I mean, it was this very. Have we talked about widescreen comic art? No. It, Explain to me what you mean by widescreen comic. Like, so you've read comics from like the seventies. Mm-hmm. They are very like they there's a lot going on on one page, lots of panels, yes, and splash pages are you are always like one page, right, they're never like double played splashes are super oh, rare, and there's so many double pages in this tons, and if you would have had like a page in the seventy in a seventies comic without any words, like that would be that'd be so strange, it would be a waste, it'd be a waste, so starting with the authority which was a wild storm comic there were a lot of these sort of big fight comics where like the heroes fought these big every like huge sort of battles and mm-hmm. the way they were illustrated they called them like widescreen comics because so they, they thought have, like they were played splashes big fights everything seemed like cinematic yeah and I feel like this is a, a pretty big example of one of these widescreen comics. Oh, absolutely. The number of times I had to go in panel by panel just to be able to read these huge, like, two-page spreads. Sometimes a little bit infuriating uh, on, on tablet reading. Even when you turn it sideways, you can't quite get everything. You just feel like there's so much in the art on the page. Because when you go panel by panel, it takes you by text. It doesn't take you by, like, moments in the scene. It's should but it doesn't you're right Mm-mm. i think comiXology is a little bit better about that it'll even sometimes do like a over 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 out out yeah yeah those are cool when they do the the the, the zooms but mm-hmm. they don't always do them great yeah that that olivier corpel yeah it, it looks beautiful it's mark morales inks it's laura martin colors oof this is probably one of my favorite arts on a crossover of that era I also liked the the issue dresses. At least the they were consistent. I don't know if the design was particularly interesting, but the f- consistent sort of you knew it was a siege issue. It right. looked very different than normal. Some of the tie-ins didn't have it. Well, you know, it was disappointing. I'm sorry. For That's a while, why they had I dark missed it top. on the checklist. They weren't the ones that weren't on the first checklist. It didn't have that little that little panel on the side. Why would they do this? And then they stuck them in the last checklist. I'm sorry, Christine. It, it, 
I like a well-planned out checklist. Mm. <laughs> Nobody else cares about this issue but me. This is a me and me alone thing. Also, Dark Avengers number 16 was on the checklist two times on the second checklist. My goodness. Well, are we ready to get into our Twitter questions? To save our readers from any more talk of this checklist? Absolutely. Our first questions come from at Daniel P. Grote on Twitter. This one was lousy with tie-ins. Did reading them enhance the experience or drag it down? For me, since I wasn't reading comics at the time that this came out, I feel like some degree of the tie-ins were essential just to expand my understanding. Some of them, not so much. Maybe I should make my own checklist. Things to think about. Ooh. Maybe maybe you should make a make like a, a lean checklist. I mean, I think that's kind of what Marvel Unlimited has tried to do with their Discover Siege list. Yeah, they were Ma- like, don't I, do I think this. I think you I think you might be all right with that. Okay. Because that does have the Loki one on there, which I said was the most important one. Yeah. And it doesn't have the dark wolverine ones on there, which were just kind of strange. <laughs> I didn't I've never read all the times for this. Even when, even though this was a period of comics where I thought the tie-ins were great. You would have had to read 41 issues. You would have had to buy 41 issues of comics this was as a college out, student. Yeah, this was coming out. Well, and I did with Secret Invasion. Uh, when we get to that, don't worry. I will have so much to talk about. <laughs> but I just, I think at that point I was, I was like graduating. I really did not have that kind of money. Mm-mm. Also, Dan asks, where do you stand on the sentry ripping dudes in half and double page splashes? Don't love it. Uh, that was it's gratuitous, gross. but I, maybe necessary to, so, to show just how. I think we could have gotten it in shadow more or something and it still would have been good. A little less graphic. Yeah, we saw like that man's intestines. Yeah. I know you have a lot of feet of intestines, but that was a lot of intestines. That was, that was like, like. That was like a Brock Lesnar level of, of intestines. <laughs> Brock Lesnar had diverticulitis, and so when <laughs> I've heard the joke that he just grew too many intestines, and they were trying to come out. Oh, no. <laughs> Aries is kind of Brock Lesnar-ish, isn't he? In terms of like the way he looks, it's really interesting how Phobos reacts to his dad's death. Because in two different tie-ins, it's kind of two different reactions. Uh-huh. Like one, like. He goes to the White House and kills all the Secret Service and tries to threaten the president. And then the other, he he just tells Nick Fury, eh, he was a son of a bee. He was a son of a bee? <laughs> I, can, I can say it and bleep it out, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Does this make Sentry a murder hornet? Everybody had to team up to beat him. <laughs> yeah, they did. They just—they all had to just pile on him and shake. I mean, they did have to overheat him by throwing him into the sun. Although <laughs> Sentry had already already tried to throw himself into the sun. Well, and they it didn't, didn't work. They threw his corpse into the sun. He was like a pile already, of like fried yeah. bones. <laughs> yeah, they could bring him back somehow if they wanted to. I'm sure he has come back, but it didn't amount to much, and it. it I don't like even at all. Mm. Can we talk slightly though? There is a comic called the age of the century that is supposed to be a telling of his silver age adventures. And it's fantastic, (laughs) but it's like, it's not really about the century. It's just like, 
It's more like, hey, let's make a fun Silver Agey comic. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. You should, <laughs> you'd like it. So you're going to download it onto my tablet and casually hand it to me yes. after this episode. After this episode. All right. Our next set of questions comes from at Asimov Fangirl on Twitter. She says, howdy. What's your opinion on the Aries scene? Gross. Yep. Would it have lost its, its impact if it was less graphic or did the comic go too far? Too far gross. Yeah. It, I don't know if it would have lost impact. It definitely had an impact. I just. I was like, oh, I don't know what this Sentry Dude's deal is, but he's lost it. And then I read the tie-ins and I was like, oh, yeah, he's. Mm. This really. I wonder if it's because Ares is like never a character that I feel like a, a lot of people care about to a huge extent. Someone's going to write in on that. But so they had to like, because they had to kill a character that was not like the most beloved, they had to kind of do something to make you feel bad for him. Oh, to me, I, I don't think it was anything about feeling bad for Ares. I think it was just the showing being brutal. Yeah. Hey, you know, this guy with Superman powers. Guess what? He's not Superman. <laughs> All right. And second question. If you lived in the 616, would we have the same jobs? Would you still make a podcast about the same theme or maybe something else? Oh, this is kind of fun. This is kind of fun. I think they would still probably need medicine in the 616 because a lot of the medicine I work with ends up being like treatments for things that people have definitely had in the 616. So I know my job would still be mm-hmm. necessary and people would still need theater teachers, but would you want to be a theater teacher? Or would you I want think to do I would still else? want to be a teacher, but maybe I wouldn't teach theater. Maybe I would teach something fun. Like not the theater is not fun. <laughs> Friends, you heard it here first. Theater is not fun. <laughs> no, I was just thinking of something like, I don't know, superhero physics or something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> something that would physics only teacher in the six months you're like then i don't know these guys can fly i don't know why you're not supposed to be able to do that let's let's talk about the the under underworld was that what it's called what's the what's that space where um the underverse underverse yep. yeah let's learn about the underverse today kids there's the microverse and under it is the underverse the underverse <laughs> and then under it is the down underverse <laughs> You can find the rescuers there. It's true. <laughs> All right. Would, no, would our podcast still be about the same things? Or would we podcast about something different? Well, is there comics in the 616? Yes. Canonically. About superheroes. Oh. Yes. About these same superheroes? The very same. Okay. Then maybe. Might be fun. Might be fun. They're just they're just like biographical instead of made up. Do you think that we'd be able to get some superheroes to come on our podcast if we were in the six one six? I think Spider Man would do it if we paid him. You really think we'd need to pay Spider Spider Man? He's he's got bills. He might just do it anyway. He would just do it for fun. You think he'd just do it for fun? Tony Stark would not. Tony Stark would do it for charity. Oh maybe. But maybe, maybe not for fun. Maybe. I, I still think Spider Man would probably be the most likely Avenger to come on our podcast. Most likely Avenger to come on. <laughs> this is honorific. <laughs> probably true. All right. Next set of questions from at Robert Secundus on Twitter. What do you think about Asgard being in Oklahoma? I thought it was a fun temporary status quo that definitely was like there just as long as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. I it mean, the wind blew long. sweeping down the plains, and there it was. I know Hugh Jackman could have been in Oklahoma as as Wolverine. Coulda. Coulda. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yep. 
I just, I just want Wolverine to come into Asgore going, oh, what a beautiful <laughs> morning. <laughs> oh, perfect. And what do you think of this story as the ending of the broader story of the Dark Reign? Fitting or random? I think if you would have told me at the beginning of Dark Reign, hey, it's going to end at, that, at Asgard in Oklahoma, I probably would have. Right. I think in retrospect, it doesn't bother me, but it is like it fizzled a little bit. Yeah. I also, but I had these weird preconceived notions. When Dark Rain was kind of starting up, I went to a comic book convention and Dan Slott was at this convention. Mm -hmm. He was writing Spider-Man at the time. Right. And he definitely made it seem like Spider-Man was going to be the big one to take down Norman Osborn because of course. Oh. That didn't really happen. So that wasn't, oh yeah. Yeah, that really wouldn't be satisfying. He gets a moment where he socks him in the face and says, oh, shut up. Right. And that's like, that's like, I feel like Dan Slott was like begging. He's like, please let Spider-Man on <laughs> Well, Luke Cage has a, has a, I think a, a line about Osborne's cornrows. <laughs> I do not understand Norman Osborne's hair. <laughs> no. And it's always been drawn that way. And I don't know. I it's don't, like they've kept it in as a bit. Like, how I, are you going to know it's Norman Osborne? I don't, don't think do it was supposed to be cornrows <laughs> no. originally, but it was just like these like weird waves. Like, oh. Harry has kind of, like, like tight, curly hair. Right. That he's, like, brushed into this Yeah, but no, it's like Norman's just like, I got these weird, bright red things I don't know. going on. I don't know. It's bad. Um, <laughs> but to me, and coming back to the question, I feel like this is a satisfying ending taking down somebody drunk on their own power. To me, that was satisfactory. He was brought like as low as he possibly could have. He's been captured, going to be brought to justice. He's going to go, you know, rot in a prison cell that Luke Cage is going to guard. Sounds yep. good. Yeah. The the ending is like very satisfying and that like it's very neat. Mm-hmm. There is like, there is nothing at the end where you're like, oh, what's ha- going to happen next? Other than like, oh, there's like something, like something nice is going to happen. There's no like little like hanging threads right i mean some of the dark avengers get away and stuff and not all of them not all of the the baddies get brought to justice taskmaster gets away and so i mean there's some of those loose threads but i i feel like it's a nice culmination but i didn't read all of dark rain i didn't read the whole the whole run that whole era right yet (laughs) yet uh, somebody's gonna send me a checklist Christy is very susceptible to checklists. So bad. Uh, All right. Our next questions come from at Xavier Files on Twitter. Is the Sentry good? No. I mean, like like a good and compelling character or a good person? No. None? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm Mm-mm. I was kind of compelled by his story a little bit. I just think the like, oh, we have to, we have to make him crazy. Oh, yeah. I kind of, you know, I wish he, I wish he could have overcome that. Yeah. But I felt bad for him. You do. He is a character you are meant to feel bad for. Is it weird that there's still a little bit of the void in Cyclops? I don't think there is. He's been resurrected since then. Several times. All right. Uh, Is it weird that Fat Cobra ate the void once? No, that rules. I don't know when that happened, but that sounds cool. In the uh, Agents of Wakanda comic. Oh. Check out this very cool picture of it. He has this, like, fire in his eyes, and he goes, and disposed of. <laughs> it's very good. 
All right. And next question comes from at Darth underscore Oni, the Duck Knight on Twitter. Thoughts on Norman as a villain? I'd love the opinions of someone who's not been a Spider-Man fan forever. So I guess they're asking Probably not me. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not me. Been, I, Chris I, has been a Spider-Man fan since forever. Since I was like five years old. <laughs> I mean, I I hated him. So that's a good villain for me. I, I They're the villains that you kind of have a soft spot for. You not get him. where they're coming from. Not him. Not him. He's you literally like, hate a, him. He's, he's a rich guy who like fails upward. Right. He's the worst. Um, I think Norman's been a little overused recently in weird ways. So I'm, but at this point, I think, feel like he was at the, he was at the apex of me hating him. It was pretty great. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird having read the, uh, the Gwen Stacy mini that's been coming out with him mm, in it where he's just like, he's not evil yet. Not, not evil. Just, just good guy pal. Yep. Yeah. Strange. 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 All right. Next questions from, uh, at near Ravel opinions on Twitter. Are you tired of Bendis crossovers yet? What do you think, Christy? Uh, I think we have three more that we need to read. Like I, I recognize that there is more left to do. The job is not done. Uh-huh. And I think the beautiful nature of our rotating coverage on this podcast is you you get a break. Yeah, it's nice. You know, and you never know which way the patrons are going to take us next. It's true. We never I know. Die. I know we'll have to do it eventually. Uh-huh. But I don't have to do it, like, next week. Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> we don't have to do anything next week. <laughs> Unless somebody gives me a checklist. <laughs> People are going to start sending you all kinds of checklists. <sighs> and near notes that he's kidding on that question mostly. But seriously, though, since you'll never do Dark Reign, since it's not really a crossover with the main story, how do you feel about the concept execution of Dark Reign, including the outcome of Siege? Well, we addressed the outcome a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And I really talked a lot about, I love Dark Reign. It's my favorite. You like the government being bad. <laughs> Heroes being oppressed and fighting against authority. Love it. This is why you love the X-Men. Always. Always. <laughs> All right. What about uh, you? Uh, well, I feel like it's not... I can't totally weigh in because I haven't read all of Dark Rain. You've read like five issues of Dark Rain. But like, conceptually, I kind of enjoy it. It's... It was really... There's just something so satisfying about bad people in power getting what they deserve that is just absolutely satisfying to me. <laughs> Considering how little it seems to happen in real life. Right. Right. Like, maybe if you'd asked me that, like, four years ago, I'd have a different answer. Our final questions come from at Lynn Candescent, who asks, Hello, what do you think of Norman Osborn's characterization in Siege? Is it a natural culmination of parts of his character, or an off-base radical reimagining, or somewhere in between? Also, given the divisiveness of his character, do you think the event works without Sentry? I think the event probably... They probably could have found a way to work without Sentry. I think he was convenient to the yes. plot, but yes. I think they could have done it without him. Right. But they want, they just needed to get rid of him, and this was a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They had a whole bit side quest where they were trying to get Odin's spear to Norman. Like, he had some, some folks trying to raid the armory. So you, you could have given Osborne like, a, a weapon aside from the sentry. Right. That might have been cooler. Because um, they beat Osborne and then have to fight the sentry for the last issue. So to some extent, it maybe takes a little bit of the tension off. Right. 
of like Norman being the ultimate big bad. Mm-hmm. Um, his characterization is, I think, I think Lynn Candescent here is talking a little bit about how he's a little bit sort of like manic at the end. And he, I think it's supposed yeah, to be like, he's being kind of goblined. Mm-hmm. I mean, Victoria Hand was like trying to get him psychiatric help, and there are definitely scenes of him talking to the Green Goblin quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And that's not. That was in like the cartoon when I was a kid. So I think it, I, it, it seems like a progression to me. Yeah. It probably, it's probably cartoonish in the way that comic books are cartoonish, Mm -hmm. but but, yeah, he, he had a, he had a mental breakdown that resulted in many deaths and grew an extra set of teeth on like the outside of his lips. To me, when I was reading the comic and not the tie-ins, I was like, did he get that tattooed on his face? That's a really, effed up thing to get tattooed on your face just extra teeth <laughs> call him dr I, teeth i did not i i don't quite get that or how it happened or any mm. do you think he'd choose with the first set and the second set or just kind of lets one of them not do any work the top set are his lips so yeah, but are they are they teeth are they kind of teeth like i don't know so weird Does he, he, i just want to know about his teeth situation <laughs> I want to I want that to happen, and then like you the need- Avengers start going teeth, teeth, teeth. You need teeth. an interview with the dentist. <laughs> Tell me about Norman Osborn's lip teeth. <laughs> we need to see the X-rays. Does he have like a bunch? Like, up does here? he need an extra set of fluoride when he goes in? Does he? Do they, just- <laughs> do they do the fluoride like burnish a- on the second set? Like a lipstick fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he have two sets of teeth? That was weird. <laughs> it was very weird. <laughs> All right, readers. So that wraps up our questions. So we are ready to move into accolades. All right, Christy, what is the best line of this crossover? All right. My best line comes from Peter Parker's Spider-Man, as it mm. often does. You uh, love Spider-Man. Yeah, when when they are in uh, Nick Fury's uh, Black Hawk, is that what they what do they call the that that big ship he was in? Oh, I don't know. Is it an SR seventy one Blackbird? Blackbird, yeah, it was Blackbird. Okay. So when uh, Spider Man's riding in Nick Fury's Blackbird and they're they're getting at Oklahoma real fast, uh, he says the line, "Seriously, no one is going to go. I gotta get me one of these. No one." Ah. Uh. I love, that, I love that Ben is sort of in an Independence Day joke. <laughs> Do you think Spider-Man should have punched Norman Osborn and said, welcome to Earth? Oh, well, that would have been fun. Maybe. It would have, people would have been like, where'd this come from? I love how Bendis writes Spider-Man. Whoa. It's almost like he wrote Spider-Man for like 18 years. <laughs> the ultimate version. My best line comes from Cap. It was... Uh, Steve Rogers cap. There's a bit where Taskmaster is like, I've been waiting to face you for a long time, Rogers. And he goes, <laughs> really? I barely remember you. And it just reminds me of the, that bit from Mad Men with the, the like young copywriter in the elevator. And he turns to Don and says, you know, I feel sorry for you. And Don says, really? I don't think about you at all. <laughs> it's a great line. And in a, one of the, the tie-ins, actually, that really gets Taskmaster's goat. Because he's got this whole complex about, 
how, you know, he trains all of these super villains and they go on to do bigger and better things than he does. And he's a little bitter about it. Nobody knows who he is. Not even Cap. <laughs> Not even Cap. Uh, there's some vindication for Taskmaster later. There's a Cap run where he has to fight Taskmaster for like a whole half issue. And he talks about how hard it is to fight him. Uh. So maybe he's just playing with him. I don't know. But it's great. <laughs> How about that coolest moment? Uh, my coolest moment is uh, when the Avengers arrive at Asgard and Cap gets Norman Osborn with the shield. Oh, that is very we cool. We have the Avengers assemble. We we get that so many times. <laughs> so Avengers, many Avengers assemble because there's so many Avengers teams. <laughs> Holy cow. My coolest moment is the Viking burial in the sun because I um. love when they throw stuff in the sun. <laughs> This is pretty fun. Um, the sentry once ripped Carnage in half and threw him into the sun. So there you go. <laughs> Full Cent- circle. Sentry reaping. <laughs> or uh, so- sorry, sentry sowing. Oh man, this is so cool. Love throwing Carnage into the sun. <laughs> sentry reaping. Oh no, I hate this. <laughs> All right. Well, what about your greatest hero? Loki? But I wrote that before. Oh, no. I know what you said. Oh, no. But he, he does the power up and gets ripped in half. Yep. So in just Siege, I'm going to call him a greatest hero. Uh-huh. In, in the main title, yep. if you don't know about his sneaky, sneaky motives, uh-huh. he is exactly what you want to, or what he wants you to think he is. He got a me. A great hero. He, he bamboozled he me. So my greatest hero is Thor. Oh. Because he you know, ultimately takes down Sentry and then goes and throws him in the sun. <laughs> Throwing in the sun is very important. Do you think that Thor could just solve the trash problem on Earth by just throwing it all into the sun? Be a little little tedious, but probably. Probably wouldn't take him that long. Like, like a like a like a couple weeks. Right, like especially pushing trash along in space, like that would take. You just like throw it in the general direction of the sun. I think if we get there, yeah, he's very strong. (laughs) He could just tie it to Mjolnir and throw it. (laughs) Then it could go through the sun and then come back. All right. What about your silly villainy? We have a ton of villains in this. Tons. I'm going to give it to Osborne for being, for being, having those two teeth. (laughs) (laughs) That was goofy. Oh, yeah. Mine also goes to Osborne, but it goes to Osborne for lying to Ares. Like Ares wasn't going to (laughs) immediately find out. Okay. I just had, he can't talk to anybody. (laughs) Boy, because if he talks to somebody. Oh, no, he talked to somebody. <laughs> like, how did he think that was going to go down? I don't know. Maybe he was Norman, desperate. Maybe Norman didn't. He, he just needed to get Ares there. Because if Ares didn't go, none of the other Dark Avengers would have gone. True. Very true. Ares was probably, like, the best Dark Avenger in terms of, like, he's been, like, a hero before. Right. Right. Well, Sentry's been a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Ares does not have, like, an evil part of him that's, like... <laughs> Moonstone? Has Moonstone gone both ways? I don't think so. I think okay. she's generally a villain. Okay. Her name's Carla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carla Moonstone. That's not, that's not her name. <laughs> All right. What about our Key of C award? What moment best deserved a musical number? I thought that Osborne trying to convince the Avengers to go to Asgard could have been like a this Jesus must die from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> uh. Uh, that reminds me. Gentlemen. 
that reminds me of something that really frustrated me about these four issues. I think it was only the first three that you got like pages of mostly text at the very end of each issue that were like briefings or transcripts. Yeah, and they're boring. Yeah. <laughs> but like Norman's whole meeting with the Dark Avengers trying to convince them to come attack Asgard is like all in like four pages of just like text with yeah, some pictures. And I don't think it added anything. But I feel like if that were a song, they're yeah. back and forth because everybody's like, no, this is a really bad idea. And he's like, no, we got to do this. And here's how I'm going to make you do it. <sighs> it was all script. Victoria, I hate that. <laughs> Victoria's like, you can't come out of this room until you have a plan. <laughs> okay. They put up the black smoke whenever <laughs> they decide to go and fight Asgard. How bad is Papa? <laughs> Oh, all right. The uh, moment that I felt most needed a musical number, my Key of C award, I feel like Loki's moment where he really er, plays up realizing that he's done something bad and he needs Odin's favor to get the Norn stones back. Mm -hmm. I feel like that just needed a huge over the top musical number and just be really melodramatic. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. I still like mine more, but I like yours. No, yours is very good. <laughs> very good. I just love the, this Jesus Must Die must, is maybe one of my favorite songs from <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar because everybody pulls out their most evil voices and they all sound so different. You've got like somebody who's super deep and then someone who's kind of snivy. That's mm-hmm. oh, what a great, what a great song. Because <laughs> Asgard must die. I love it. <laughs> love it. You got to you got to do the whole thing right now. <laughs> Just kidding readers. You'll have to buy Chris's uh, debut album to get this such Asgard cla- must die. <laughs> classics as <laughs> This Asgard must die. <laughs> uh, the Chris's on Infinite Earths album. Man. Even Doom knew Osborne was was bad news. It's true. Doom knows. Doom knows. Doom knows. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, readers, for sticking along with us. And thank you to patron Charlie Davis for picking this one. Yeah. If you want to be like Charlie Davis or our patron Josh, who we shouted out earlier on this show, you can head on over to patreon.com, send a little money our way, and y- you can tell us things to do on the podcast. It's true. If you want to do those single donations, we also have a Kofi that's going to be there in the uh, show notes. Mm-hmm. If you need to get a hold of us, the real quick, the real quick in 280 characters way, you can do so at Chris's pod or at Chris's pod on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You get get a few more characters there on Facebook. But if you have an even longer form message to send us, please send it on over to Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. But also, like, if you're not real flush with cash right now, the, the best thing you can do for us is 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 recommend us to a friend. Yeah, throw us an iTunes review. We know the hardest part of that is actually remembering your iTunes login, but just go on over to that podcast section. Just mm-hmm. click all five of those stars. All five? All five. Give us a little fun message. Yep. We'll read it out in the show. Say, mash taters. We'd say it. We would. <laughs> well, readers, uh, if you, we've got a fun poll going on that will still be up when this goes up about what well, our next X-Men crossover is going to be, so vote on that. We'll pick it. We're yeah. doing a fun thing for, yeah. for COVID times. Try, try and make it really clear as soon as possible, because if there's a checklist, 
I need to know. None of these have checklists. If you want to make a checklist for one of these, send it on over to Chris's on Infinite Earth at gmail.com. You're like, a, the. there's always a joke that, what is it, uh, a bill sticks to an accountant's hand or something. <laughs> a checklist sticks to Christy's hand. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, readers. And until next time. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>